What do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? That's the question that the Apostle Paul asks in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Everything you have, you have from the Lord. Life, breath, shelter, food, clothing, labor, love. The list could go on. Given the Lord's endless blessings, you should bless the Lord. For those here this morning who know the Lord by faith, your blessing should echo the Apostle Paul's blessing in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, where Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. All that we have, we have from God. And so He deserves our blessing, our praise, our honor, and our love. And that's what our psalm, Psalm 134, reminds us of this morning. And as we study this portion of God's Word together, it's my prayer that each one of us would either begin to bless the Lord who has blessed us, or to renew again our blessings of the Lord, the Lord who has blessed us. I pray that we would learn afresh from saints of old that it is a high privilege to be a servant of God and to bless God. If you haven't done so already, let me invite you to open your Bibles, turn in your copy of God's Word to uh, Psalm 134. If you're using one of the Bibles provided there in the pews, you can find the passage on page 519. And when you arrive at Psalm 134, you'll notice an inscription at the top. The inscription says, A Song of Ascents. This is the last of 15 psalms that Israelite pilgrims would sing as they made their way up to the temple in Jerusalem for worship, for one of the three annual feasts. This is ancient Israelite road trip music. These psalms, they were composed at different times in Israel's history, but they were probably eventually compiled and as a complete set and finished sometime after the Babylonian captivity. These songs, they are, are useful to us because like the ancient Israelite pilgrims, we too are headed somewhere. The ancient Israelite pilgrims were headed to Jerusalem for worship. And we too are headed up to heaven, the new Jerusalem, or the heavenly Mount Zion, where we will see our God face to face. If this is the last song on that road trip, and they get there and they bless the Lord, think about what will happen when you get there. What will you do when you arrive to that heavenly Mount Zion? You too will bless the Lord. Since this is the last psalm in the series, it's useful to review the lessons along the journey. So on the insert there in the bulletin, I've provided for you what I think are the main lessons from each of these psalms and the songs of ascent. Perhaps someday in the future it could be useful to you in perhaps a quiet time of some kind to read through the psalms of ascent, reflect on those lessons and think if they are, are, are accurate and what you can learn from them in your own walk and journey with Christ. But what's the lesson that Psalm 134, this last lesson that we're looking at together today, brings us? What's the lesson that this song sings to our souls? It's quite simple, really. Bless the Lord who blesses you. That's the main idea of Psalm 134. Bless the Lord who blesses you. But I want you to see if you can spot that idea for yourself in the text. You need to be a good Berean and see if what the preacher is saying is really there. So follow along now as I read Psalm 134 and see if you think that's true. That the idea is, bless the Lord who blesses you. A song of a sense. Come, bless the Lord Yahweh. All you servants of the Lord Yahweh who stand by night in the house of the Lord Yahweh. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord Yahweh. 
May the Lord Yahweh bless you from Zion, He who made heaven and earth. Well, blessing is certainly a central theme in this psalm. But did you notice how the blessing goes up to the Lord in verses 1 and 2, but then comes down from the Lord there in verse 3? As I said, I think this psalm teaches us to bless the Lord who blesses us. We're going to unpack this psalm and its meaning under three headings, one for each verse. Verse 1, we'll consider the people a blessing. In verse 2, we'll consider the posture and really the place of blessing. Then in verse 3, we'll consider the proclamation of the Lord's blessing. The people of blessing, the posture of blessing, and the proclamation of blessing. Let's begin at the beginning. Read verse 1 again as we consider the people of blessing. Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Our psalm begins with a summons, doesn't it? Come, come and bless the Lord. It's a call, it's an invitation, it's appropriate, given it's the final psalm in the psalm of sense. Perhaps the pilgrims sing this psalm as they arrive to the feast at night. Perhaps the priests ministering in the temple issue a welcoming invitation to come and bless the Lord as they arrive for the feast. Others postulate that this psalm the pilgrims sing at the conclusion, it's at the conclusion of the feast actually, before they begin their journey back home. But whatever the case may be, the, the summons, the call to bless the Lord is clear. But what does it mean to bless the Lord? We are, are, are very aware of what it means to be blessed by the Lord, to be recipients of His love and favor. But what does it mean for us to bless the Lord? We can bless Him. What can we give the one who made heaven and earth? We can give Him our praise. We can give Him the glory that's due to His name. Matthew Poole, an old commentator, somewhat comically said, Do not stand there like statues, dumb and idle, but employ your hearts and your tongues in singing forth the praises of the Lord. That's about right. You haven't been summoned to worship to be silent. You've been summoned to speak and sing of God's goodness and grace and glory. This summons, come and bless the Lord, is an invitation to praise the God who made you and saved you. This is a summons laid upon you. Everyone owes God his worship and honor and praise. This is especially incumbent upon Christians. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 reminds us, Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. The scripture passage that we read just a few moments ago in the service, Revelation 19, you'll recall, was filled with the people of God blessing and praising God. In many ways, the scriptural call to worship that begins each of our Lord's Day services here. Is this summons? Having been summoned, will you come and bless the Lord? Who is to offer this blessing according to the psalm? The answer is right there in the middle of verse 1. All you servants of the Lord. Now, many have concluded that this is a reference to the priests in Israel. After all, they served Him standing in the house of the Lord. Standing because their work was never done. Standing because there's no furniture there for them to sit on. Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 8 speaks of the Levites who would stand before the Lord and minister to Him and bless His name. It's a very reasonable scenario. And yet, because these psalms were meant to be sung by all of the people of God headed up to Jerusalem for worship, I'm inclined to think that the phrase, all you servants of the Lord, is simply shorthand for all of the people of God. Uh, this is the case in other psalms, like Psalm 113. Speaking to all the people of God, Psalm 113 verse 1 says this, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. And the phrase, servants of the Lord, 
is used as a reference to all the people of God. Actually, in the very next psalm. So you see Psalm 135 there? Skip down to verse 14. You see there? For the Lord will vindicate His people and have compassion on His servants. That's a Hebrew parallelism there, right? So one line is that He will vindicate His people. And what He means to say that by that is compassion on His servants. Psalm 135 verse 14 refers to the same group of people. I think the servants of the Lord are none other than the faithful, faithful worshipers of the Lord. In fact, that's how some Israelites thought of themselves when they gathered for worship. They thought of themselves as servants of the Lord. So think back to the arrival of Jesus as a baby. There was a man named Simeon who was waiting for that blessed day of the Messiah's arrival. And when the Christ finally came, do you remember what he said of himself? After coming into the temple, which is where the pilgrims would have come, Simeon took Jesus up into his arms and in Luke chapter 1 verse 29, he said, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace. Are you? Are you a servant of the Lord? Do you serve the Lord when it's convenient or when it's costly? Do you serve the Lord when it coheres with your schedule and your priorities? Or when it is commanded according to His schedule and priorities? Do you recognize the high privilege of bringing praise to God as His servant? We often think that we come here on Sunday mornings to receive. But could it be that God wants you to come here and give? To come here and serve Him in His praise? Maybe the Lord would have you turn up here to serve and not be served. That would imitate the great servant of all, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember what Jesus told His disciples in Mark chapter 10, verse 45? He said this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. So in imitation of Jesus... Christians have long thought of themselves as servants. In many of his letters, the Apostle Paul, he referred to himself as a servant of the Lord, even a slave of the Lord. Do you put yourself into the Lord's hands for use? A servant's most basic duty is to bless the Lord. Daniel Estes, a commentator, was right when he wrote, What marks these servants is not so much the work they perform for the Lord, but the worship of the Lord that permeates their hearts. That's your calling as a servant, to offer blessing and praise to God, to offer Him your worship. Their hearts, these pilgrims, their hearts were filled with blessing. But as we've observed, they were standing while they were blessing. Uh, again, this last phrase in verse 1, who stand by night in the house of the Lord, has led many interpreters to believe that the psalm is referring to the priests and their duties in the evening worship services there at the temple. The Old Testament law prescribed evening worship, just... Side note for fun, right? Uh, evening worship uh, is not just a new invention of the Protestant Reformation. It was happening a long time before, even way back in the Old Testament. Anyway, uh, they, they go back thousands of years. We do know that the priests served at night. Uh, the Old Testament law enumerated a number of nightly duties for the priests. For example, Leviticus chapter 6 verse 9 tells us they were keeping fire on the altar for the burnt offering burning all night. Uh, the lamps, according to Leviticus 24 verses 1 to 4, were also to be kept burning. And the histories we find in the scriptures record the priests keeping up these duties, performing these duties. So 1 Chronicles chapter 9, verse 33, speaks of Levites being on duty day and night. Still, others in Israel were actually invited to bless the Lord, worship the Lord day and night. Send your mind back again, once again, to the birth of Jesus. We thought about Simeon. Remember the other figure in Luke's gospel, Anna? She was an 84-year-old woman, Anna. And in Luke chapter uh, 2, verse 38, we're told this about her. She did not depart from the temple, 
worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Again, I, I think what the psalm has in view here is not so much priests individually, but the people of God gathered at the temple of the Lord to bless the Lord. And we know that the people of God gathered for worship during the night. So Isaiah chapter 30 verse 29 declares, You shall have a song as in the night when a holy feast is kept. So try to pull together the whole picture in your mind so far. The people of God have been summoned to serve the Lord in worship. They've gathered for worship after sundown. They stand because they're fully engaged with the worship of the Lord. They're pouring their whole selves into His service and this worship. It's one of the reasons we stand when we sing. Practically standing positions our bodies for the loudest possible joyful noise. God hears and sees the worship of these pious pilgrims in the night. And He's pleased. Uh, These are people who have come to bless the Lord. They consider it a glory and an honor to serve Him. Do you? uh, Do you consider it a glory and honor to serve the Lord? Perhaps even in the shadows. Perhaps even in places unseen. Perhaps even in the dark. Maybe you feel like your service goes under the cover of darkness sometimes. Sometimes... As Christians, we're tempted to doubt that anyone sees our service to the Lord. And honestly, that may be true. None of your fellow members may see your service. None of your fellow members may see you mow the lawn or pull the weeds here at church. None of your members may see you scrub toilets or pick up trash. None of your fellow members may see you arrange the childcare schedule, or the sound schedule, or the hospitality schedule. None of your fellow members may see you study in preparation for Sunday school to teach the kids or to teach in your small group. None of your fellow members may see you practice your guitar or piano for hours to help the congregation sing. None of your fellow members may see you serve them in prayer. It's true. None of your fellow members may see your service. But the Lord does. And His sight should be your satisfaction. He is who you are serving. He is certainly pleased when you serve Him. Beloved, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord morning and noon and night since his blessings are constantly poured out upon you your blessings should be constantly poured out from your lips beloved bless the lord with all that is within you bless his holy name in christ he has done great things for you he stood jesus stood and served you as he was mocked and maligned he stood and served you as he was beaten and bruised He stood in your place as a substitute on the cross, as darkness of God's judgment descended upon Him. It was only after Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin that He was raised to reign, and so He sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Bless the Lord with your worship and service. The Lord Jesus has blessed you with His service for you. Serve out of gratitude for what Christ has done. As Mr. Spurgeon said, Not one of you should serve him as of compulsion, but all should bless him while you serve him. Yea, bless him for permitting you to serve him, fitting you to serve him, and accepting your service. To be a servant of Jehovah is an incalculable honor, a blessing beyond all estimate. These are the people of blessing, pilgrims who have responded to the invitation to come, summons to bless the Lord, pilgrims who are grateful to be called the servant of the Lord. Pilgrims who long to live their lives as an act of worship to the Lord. Verse 1 opened with an imperative, and so does verse 2. We've considered the people of blessing, and now we consider 
the posture of blessing. This is our second point. Read verse 2 now. Read it again. Lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. We've already noticed something about the posture of the pilgrims in verse 1. They were standing, fully engaged in the worship of the living God. What's actually interesting is that in Mark chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus presumed His disciples would be standing while they were praying. Standing, uh, if it helps you, might actually help you stay awake uh, during prayer. Sometimes it's hard when we're sitting or laying down. Perhaps we're tired. And yet standing helps us to engage in certain things. These pilgrims are standing. That was the pilgrim's posture in verse 1. And now comes an instruction for pilgrims to lift their hands to the holy place and bless the Lord there in verse 2. This is a new element to their posture. And I think that we need to take some time and survey some scripture passages about what it meant for someone to raise their hands in worship of the Lord. So at the tail end of verse 2, I think is also important for this, is a call to lift up our hands and bless the Lord. Sometimes the scriptures call God's people to lift up their hands in prayer, thus kind of pleading with God. So Psalm 28 verse 2 says this, Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. That's an example where a worshiper lifts his hands to plead with God to act for his goodness. There are other examples, Psalm 88 verse 9, Psalm 143 verse 6. In pleading, uh, the hands are lifted up in a posture kind of dependence. Lord, I, I need from you. It's a readiness to receive God's mercy. That's what hands lifted up in prayerful pleading communicate. But our psalm is not so much thinking about pleading as it is about praising. When praising, uh, lifted up hands is a physical and visible sign of, of offering our blessing to the Lord. So consider Psalm 63, verse 4. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. The uplifted hands were symbolic of the blessing coming from a believer's heart. This led Origen, a second century Christian, to say, When therefore I raise my hands to God, I lift my spirit to Him through my uplifted hands. You understand what Origen is saying there? He was saying that the raising of his hands in worship was an outward deed revealing an inward desire. His heart was raised to God with blessing. So he lifted up his hands to reveal his heart to the Lord, offering his blessing to the Lord. We find this in other scripture passages too. So in Psalm 141, verse 2, we read, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Psalm 141, verse 2, is tying together the upward movement of worship to the upward lifting of the worshiper's hands. Or consider Nehemiah, chapter 8, verse 6. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen and Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Body language is revealing, isn't it? Right? In conversations with someone, you, you can tell where they are at through their body language sometimes. You can, you can tell if they're uncomfortable or if they're interested or mentally absent, though physically present. We can tell all these things through our body language. Our body language in worship can communicate something too. Here the heart of the worshiper is lifted up in thanksgiving and praise to God. Offering his worship to God. And I wonder if this makes you nervous. Are, are we going to have more hand raisers uh, in our worship service after this sermon is done? Well, if it is done with the same motivation to bless the Lord that this psalm speaks about, then I certainly hope so. 
You have the freedom to raise your hands and bless the Lord as you sing and pray and speak God's praises here. You are not going to be forced to do so, but you are free to do so. The scriptures give you great permission and freedom to do that. Of course, you will want to use your freedom to glorify God. So flailing about and hitting your fellow worshiper is not using your freedom well. Uh, as I heard a friend recently say, being annoying is not loving your neighbor. Also, drawing attention to yourself and away from God does not bless others in the course of their worship either. So by all means, if your heart is lifted up to the Lord in worship and praise, lift up your hands. Show the Lord that he has your heart and your blessing. In fact, that is why the worshiper was directed to lift his hands to the holy place. Our blessing can't go just anywhere, right? It needs to go to God. Only he is worthy of prayer and praise and honor and blessing. The holy place here is a reference to the temple. The temple in ancient Israel was God's dwelling place. It was where he made his presence known. It was where his glory rested. It was where God made it known that he dwelt among his people. If lifted up hands is the posture of blessing, then the place of blessing or where the blessing should go is to the holy place. Because there, the person to whom all blessings should flow, God, dwells. But how does this connect to us as, as New Testament Christians? I mean, we're, we're certainly pilgrims and sojourners, as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. He reminds us. But where is the holy place where we now offer our blessing? Where do we direct our praise to? Should we seek to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem, as some Christians suggest? No. There's, there's no need for that. For God himself rebuilt the temple to where all blessings should flow when he raised his son from the dead on the third day. Jesus is now the holy place to whom and through whom we offer our blessings to God. And the New Testament is explicit about this. In John chapter 2, Jesus, he cleansed the temple to honor our Father in heaven. And that's when the Jewish religious leaders approached him. They asked him when, where he got this authority to do these things from. And that's when he told them in John chapter 2, verse 19, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Now the Jews, of course, they didn't understand what Jesus was saying. But then the apostle John, he explains by saying this in John chapter 2, verses 21 to 22. He said, Jesus was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scriptures and the word that Jesus had spoken. Do you see how... We, as the New Testament people of God, obey the commands and calling of this psalm. We lift our hearts, our hands, to the holy place, to the temple of the living God, to Jesus Christ himself, and we bless his name. We lift our hearts to Jesus in worship and offer our hands to him in his service. Let me just mention three ways, three strands of application concerning this blessing for you. You should bless God personally. You should bless God privately, and you should bless God publicly. You should bless God personally. And by that, I mean that you should put your heart and hope in Jesus Christ. The only way that we begin to bless God personally and in a way that he is pleased to receive is when we turn from our sins and trust in his son, Jesus Christ. You see, the truth is, is that before any of us had lifted up our hands in worship to God and praise and honor, we have lifted up our hands in disobedience and rebellion to God. The scriptures also speak of us lifting up our hands in a negative sense. We've rebelled against God. We've lifted up our hand against Him to go to war with Him. So the Bible calls sin. 
It's what Adam and Eve did in the Garden of Eden when they disobeyed God's command. And we have all followed in their footsteps. We've acted just like they have. We've decided to live our own way rather than God's way. And because of that, we don't deserve blessing. We deserve to be cursed. We deserve to face God's eternal judgment and wrath against our sin forever in hell. But the good news of the Bible is, is that God has purposed to bless. He blessed His people by sending His one and only most beloved Son. Jesus came down from heaven, fully God and fully man. And He lived the life of blessing His Father in heaven, honoring Him at every turn, and blessing man who was in great need, sinners who were in great need. And Jesus, He gave His life up on the cross. After living a perfectly righteous life, He offered His life as a sacrifice, a substitute to stand in our place and bear the punishment that our sins deserve. Three days after his death, God the Father raised him from the dead, vindicating him and proving to us all that his life and death on behalf of repenting sinners was accepted and acceptable in God's sight. And so now all who turn from their sin and trust in him will receive the eternal blessing of God. And we bless God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Friend, you should personally bless God the Father for sending a Savior from sin in his Son. Is Jesus your Savior? Make Him your Savior today. Turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. This is the first way you praise and bless God. Because in doing so, you gladly receive the greatest blessing that God the Father ever bestowed on sinful man, His own Son. You should bless God personally. And you should bless God privately. And by that, I mean you should take some time alone with God every day and praise Him. Beloved, try to read some portion of Scripture every day and find something to praise God for from in that passage. Take our passage, for example. Let me just pull out a few key words, right? Take from verse 1. You could praise God from that word, come. And your praise could go like this. Heavenly Father, I praise you that you invite me to come and bless your name. Or take that word servant in verse 1. Your praise could go like this. Heavenly Father, I praise you that you make me, a sinner, your servant. Or take that phrase, in the house of the Lord. Your praise could go like this. Heavenly Father, I praise you that you welcome me into your house as your beloved child. Or take that phrase in verse 2. Lift up your hands. Your praise could go like this. Heavenly Father, I praise you that you welcome my worship. Or take that phrase in verse 3. He who made heaven and earth. Your praise could go like this. Heavenly Father, I praise you for your power and sovereignty over all creation. Beloved, these are ways that we can bless the Lord. We can praise God. So bless God privately. It doesn't have to be extravagant. It could be a simple prayer of praise, like I just offered to you. A one-sentence prayer, just like that. And God's Word, it provides all the material we need to bless His name. You should bless God privately. You should bless God publicly. And here I'm thinking of two ways. You should bless God publicly in your work and in your worship. Beloved, in your work, let others know that you are a Christian and that you praise the living God. So stay-at-home moms, in your work, sing praise to God and invite your children to join you in that praise. Now, those of you who go to offices and engage with others outside of your homes, find ways to direct conversation to God or to give praise to God when you're uh, congratulated on something that you have done there in the office. Let others know that you don't work for the glory of your name but the glory of Jesus' name. Invite your coworkers to come with you and bless the Lord in the Lord's Day gathering. Invite them to join you in public worship. Yes, bless the Lord publicly in your work. Let others know you're a Christian. And bless God corporately 
in your worship. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, I'm here. I, I don't need this exhortation. I'm here to, to bless the Lord. Well, that's true. But there will come a day when Satan will tempt you to despair. He will tell you of the guilt within. And you will be tempted not to gather with God's people. And to come and give Him the praise that's due His name. But God has not only invited you to gather. He has commanded you to gather with His people. And here's the thing. In the corporate worship of God, God's people, He has prescribed the means for our growth and our blessing of getting out of those pits of guilt and despair. In God's corporate worship, He has told us that He uses the reading, the preaching, the praying, and the singing of the Bible to strengthen our faith. God has told us that He uses the ordinances of baptism and the Lord's Supper to nourish our faith along and growth in the Lord Jesus. So let's use these means. If we're sick, we go to the doctor and we take the medicine that he prescribes to get better. We don't avoid those means. We use those instruments and channels to help us heal. Well, we should do the same thing. The same is true with God's means of grace. God uses these gatherings, our time in his word together to heal us, to strengthen us through conversation with one another. So when we're spiritually sick, we gather to receive with God's people, receive the medicine of his grace in Jesus Christ through his appointed means. So publicly bless God in corporate worship. You not only owe it to him, but he will bless you through it too. We've considered the people a blessing. Lowly sinners made to serve through, made servants through the love of the Lord. We've considered the posture of blessing, a heart and hands lifted up to God, looking to him and praising him. Thirdly and finally, let's consider the proclamation of blessing. Read Verse 3 again. May the Lord Yahweh bless you from Zion, He who made heaven and earth. In verses 1 and 2, we've seen the, the blessing of the pilgrims go up, but now we're seeing the blessing of the Lord come down. Many have thought that this is what the priests in Israel would say back to the pilgrims, the worshipers, as they, after they had announced verses 1 and 2, kind of antiphonal, right? Verses 1 and 2, the, the pilgrims sing those verses and the priests sing verse 3 back to them. Uh, this is actually, this verse 3 is a shorthand version of the Aaronic blessing, of Aaron's blessing, in Numbers 6, verses 22 to 26. Sometimes actually we'll use that blessing from Numbers 6 as part of our benediction at the close of our services. And so we can appreciate that priests could possibly pronounce this blessing over pilgrims. Again, while I think that's a possible postulation, I think there's another scenario that's likely. We must ever remember that this is part of the Songs of Ascent. These were songs that pilgrims would sing on the road to Jerusalem. Uh, and so it's most likely, I think the most likely scenario is that fellow pilgrims traveling in groups together sing the Lord's blessings back to one another. And when you think about it, this blessing should really blow us away. These verses remind us, this verse I should say, reminds us of the sovereign blessing of God, the surety of that blessing, the source and the scope of the blessing. The three words that begin this verse, do you see them there? May the Lord reminds us that it's a sovereign Lord Yahweh who faithfully keeps covenant with His people who's making this blessing. Underneath those capital letters, L-O-R-D, is the self-disclosed and covenant name of God, Yahweh. This blessing comes from the greater and it goes down to the lesser. This blessing comes from the covenant Lord who's committed to keep His promises to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. He has promised to pour out His blessings of offspring. 
promising an offspring who would in turn bless the nations. This is the same Lord who made covenant with David and promised to send a son to sit on his throne, sit on his throne and reign as an eternal king. Now, this blessing comes from the Lord who's in charge of history and plans to help his people until the end of history. Blessing is from the Lord, the Sovereign Lord, because this blessing comes from the Sovereign Lord. It is a sure blessing. In fact, it's somewhat disappointing, I think, that the opening word of verse 3 is may. Uh, the ESV is translated. There's actually no may in the Hebrew. That's an interpretation based upon the contents of the verb there. The verse may be better translated, the Lord will bless you from Zion. When we use a word like way, may, we, we tend to think of it kind of in a wishful sense, right? But there's no doubt that when the Lord purposes to bless His people, it will come to pass. This is a proclamation, like when an officiant at a wedding says, I now pronounce you husband and wife. It's not as though He wishes that they were husband and wife. He's making that declaration that they are so. Having covenants together, they are husband and wife. A benediction is not a wishful proclamation. It's a certain proclamation. And that this is a certain proclamation is also found in the fact that in the Hebrew, we've moved from the plural you in verses 1 and 2, just to groups of people, to the singular you in verse 3. In verses 1 and 2, servants, plural, bless. Now in verse 3, it's you, the individual Israelite pilgrim, who's blessed. And what a wonder it would have been to hear the Lord bless you. Right? It should be a wonder for us to hear it. A people who deserve to be cursed by God are blessed by Him. What riches of kindness He's lavished on us. I hope that at the end of every Lord's Day service, when I or another elder announces the benediction, pronounces the benediction, you hear it as a personal assurance of blessing from God to you. That you are not cursed by Him, but blessed by Him because of Christ. And yet, here we must recognize that there is a considerable difference between our blessing God and God's blessing of us. When we offer our praise to God, we do not add anything to God. When we bless God, we only declare what is true about Him and that He's worthy of all possible honor, confidence, and love. We bless God out of our poverty. But God, when He blesses us, He blesses us out of the infinite reservoir of His riches. When God blesses us, He shows us His favor spiritually and sometimes materially. Think of James chapter 1, verse 17, where we read, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. I like how uh, Derek Kidner described the difference between how we bless God and God blesses us and the, the difference between them. He wrote, To bless God is to acknowledge gratefully what He is, but to bless man... God must make of him what he is not and give him what he has not. This is the blessing that we receive from God. God makes us what we are not. He makes us righteous in Jesus Christ. And he gives us what we have not, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And because he is the sovereign Lord, we are sure to receive it. Notice, too, the source of blessing. Notice where the psalm says the Lord sends his blessing from, from Zion. Zion in the Old Testament referred to Jerusalem. It was not merely the capital city. It was the religious center of the people of Israel. Zion was home to the temple. So we thought about the location of God's dwelling. 
It's where he made his grace and glory known on earth. It was the meeting point between heaven and earth. For God to bless his people out of Zion means that God is blessing his people from his abode. As we thought about last week, even the Old Testament saints knew that the earthly Zion pointed to something beyond itself. They knew that the country of Canaan and the city of Jerusalem, Zion, were but temporary types of the final fulfillment of God's promises. Old Testament saints were longing for the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God, Hebrews 11.10. Old Testament saints, were told in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16, desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. And one chapter later, writing to New Testament Christians, the writer of the Hebrews says, But you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering. Yes, Zion looked forward to that heavenly city. And God, He still blesses people from Zion today. One day soon, He will make all things new. He will establish the new heavens and the new earth. And so establish our eternal blessedness. And beloved, I want to assure you that though Zion and heaven may feel far away, we are not outside the reach of God's blessing. Look at the end of verse 3 again. Who is this Lord who blesses from Zion? He is the Lord who made heaven and earth. Everywhere you live, everywhere you go, His loving blessing reaches you. You are not outside of His reach. The scope of His blessing knows no bounds. Whether you are in heaven or if you are on earth, if you belong to Him, His blessing will find you. He is not just willing, He is also able. He is willing and able to bless you. William Plummer wrote, The Lord lacks neither mercy nor might, neither kindness nor power. The loving Lord of heaven and earth can bless you with all the resources of heaven and all the resources of the earth. They all belong to Him. And we, we ought to pray down the Lord's blessings. We ought to pray down the Lord's blessings, not just for ourselves, but for others too. Remember, the pilgrims were singing this song. And this verse to one another, singing the Lord's blessings to one another. So Christian, when when you gather here to sing, sing the Lord's blessings to God's people. Sing for your heart with the intention of blessing other saints in the truth of the Lord. And when you pray, when you pray through the, the membership directory, pray for God's blessings to be poured out upon your fellow believers. Pray God's blessings to be upon the members of your household. Pray for God's blessings to be upon your neighbors and co-workers and family members and friends. When you pray, praise God, the one from whom all blessings flow. And pray that he would pour out his blessings on his creatures here below. Pray that he would bless those that you know. That's what the first singers of this psalm were doing as they walked the road together. The first singers of this psalm not only blessed God, but they reveled in and reminded each other of God's blessings upon them. How often do we need to remind one another of all of the blessings from our Lord, at least weekly, but probably more regularly than that. And as we conclude, I think that we need to take one final look at our Savior, at Jesus. I wonder, do you remember the final scene of Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Luke? Go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Turn to Luke chapter 24, verse 50. That's page 885 of the Bibles provided. We're going to look at the end of Luke's Gospel. The Lord Jesus 
He's concluded His earthly ministry. He's about to send into His heavenly session. The Lord who made heaven and earth came to earth to save sinners. And now He returns to heaven to sustain His saints. But before He goes, He blesses His people. Notice what He does with His hands. And notice how He proclaims goodness to them. Read Luke 24, verse 50 to 53 now. And He, that's Jesus, and He led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up His hands, He blessed them. While He blessed them, He parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped Him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Did you notice what took place here in these verses is a mirror of our song. The Lord blesses His people and in turn, they bless the Lord God continually. Beloved, what do you have that you have not received? All that you have, you have from God. It is a high privilege to be a servant of the Lord and to be blessed of the Lord. As James Smith observed, those who are blessed of the Lord are the objects of the Lord's special love, the care of His special providence, the habitation of His Holy Spirit, the bride of His beloved Son. What a favor and what a privilege this is. We are blessed with a pardon of all sin, with access to God with confidence, with true and solid joy, with the prospect of a glorious, immutable, and eternal inheritance. Since we are so blessed of the Lord, may we always bless the Lord. Beloved, bless the Lord who has blessed you in Christ. Let's pray together.